You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm joined by my friend Gil Martin, and my name is J.J. Leahy. Gil's a writer for thesportsdaily.com and Cheesehead TV. And in addition to this podcast, I host the Daily Cheese Green Bay Packers News Update. We're here to talk Packers because we're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Guiding you through the offseason from free agency to the draft and all the way to OTAs, we've got you covered. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, hit us up on Twitter at JJ Leahy or at Gil Packers, or you can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Gil, this week we are going to continue our series where we are reviewing the Packers 2020 season week by week, but we also want to answer the question, what will a Joe Barry defense look like? So uh, I'm excited to get into this and... Uh, we also have a listener question that we're going to get to in a moment. But Awesome. First things first, Gil. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. How about you? <laughs> I'm doing great. This week, we are picking up where we left off. Uh, last week, we got through the Houston Texans. We're going to start with the Minnesota Vikings. And this was an interesting game because, in my eyes, this was the first loss that the Packers had in the Matt LaFleur era that felt like just a normal football loss. It wasn't one of these crazy, you know, blowouts where the Packers just didn't show up. This was just the kind of loss that teams have sometimes. And Aaron Rodgers was a little bit off. You know, we knew there was some concern about the wind, which ended up being kind of a theme throughout the rest of the year when we would have games where he would struggle. You know, through this stretch after the bye week for the next six weeks, the Packers went three and three. And so this was their second loss in just three weeks. They had a win sandwiched there with the Texans in between the Vikings and Buccaneers losses. What what to you stuck out about this Vikings game? Yeah, this was the most frustrating loss, I think, because this was a game they really should have won. I didn't like the fact that Mike Pettin did not adjust. You knew Kirk Cousins wasn't going to throw in that wind for three, 400 yards to beat the Packers. You had to stop Dalvin Cook. They were still playing the, we've got to stop the pass first defense. Now, later in the season, that did change, which was a positive. But in this game, it did not. They couldn't tackle in this game. The tackling in this game was just atrocious. They just didn't execute well enough to get the job done, especially on defense. Yeah, this was, uh, I think, one of the games that probably really contributed overall to Mike Pettin losing his job. Of the three teams, I was not expecting to split with the Vikings. They were kind of a crappy-looking team coming into the season. Uh, You know, they looked so bad against us the first time around, and then... You know, what we didn't know yet at this point was that the Vikings were heading into a pretty hot streak, you know, where they really started to win quite a few games and got back within striking distance of making it back into the playoffs. You know, there was a 109 rushing yards by the Packers. And, oh boy, I I hate to even say it, 173 rushing yards by the Vikings. Dalvin Cook just had himself a day. What do you have, five touchdowns in that game, I think? Uh, four touchdowns, uh, all four touchdowns, three rushing, one receiving, and that one receiving, I think we missed 
four tackles at least on that one play alone. Missed tackles was a big theme of the Packers defense at that point. It was not to the level of bad that it was in week three versus the Saints, where Alvin Kamara just absolutely embarrassed every single person on defense. The fact that we eventually quit talking about it kind of shows that, uh, you know, Petten really did do a good job of cleaning those up after this fact and getting his defensive guys to start wrapping up better. Yeah, and again, the fact that there was improvement over the course of the season was very encouraging, but you look at the stretch of games here, you know, giving up 158 yards on the ground to Tampa Bay and then giving up 173 yards two weeks later on the ground against Minnesota. It was like deja vu all over again when you talk about, well, this defense can't or won't stop the run. Thankfully, that didn't last. It did not persist as a problem as we got later on into the season. Not that it w- we were all of a sudden you know, the 1976 Pittsburgh Steelers, but uh, at at the very least, the defense improved in that area. And and I go back to the Titans game later in the season and see how uh, Petten made adjustments and stopped the run when that was the primary attack mode of that offense. So that was encouraging, at least. To me, my big takeaway was, okay, I've always wondered what would happen if a team doesn't give up on the run and commits to continuing to smash the ball down our throats all game long, whether they're ahead or not. And look, here's what happens. You win. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? Uh, After that Minnesota loss, the next week's game against San Francisco, to me, was one of the feel-good games of the season. That was like, after losing to Minnesota, losing two out of three, I felt like we were sort of at a crossroads. And going to California... And beating the 49ers after what happened twice last year, including the NFC Championship game in 2019, that was a big win and and sort of a, a weight off the shoulders of this Packers team. Uh, it pains me to say this, but this year, 2021, we are going to go to San Francisco and play the 49ers on the road for the third year in a row. I'm so yeah. sick of doing that. My gosh. This year, I, it didn't even matter to me that they were all banged up. It was... You know, it was the teams, it was the organizations, it was the logos going against each other, and it was very gratifying because at that point, we already knew the Niners were not going to the playoffs. It felt good to walk in there and say, hey, you know what, you guys went to the Super Bowl and lost it last year, you know, you had a good time walking all over us, guess what, we are still relevant And one of the things that we get to do on our way to the NFC Championship game here, as we are a really, really good football team, arguably the best, we get to dance a bit all over you on our way there. Yeah, and we were up 34-3 with about six minutes left in this game. So it wasn't even as close as the final 34-17 score indicates. This was a dominant performance by the Packers. Yeah, San Francisco was depleted. They were a shell of the team they were in 2019 but boy did it feel good and it just reaffirmed to the fans and I think even to the players to a certain extent how good this team could be and that they were going to be contenders you you hit the halfway mark of the season with a six and two record the offense rolled up more than 400 yards again and could have had a lot more points if they needed them but you know by the end of the game they literally did take the foot off the gas This was a really fun game to watch offensively because 
Devonte Adams had himself a day. I would argue this was probably his most dominant performance of the year. He had he caught uh, ten balls for 173 yards and a touchdown, and more than that, he was running the best routes. And he was freeing up other guys. Look, MVS had two touchdowns. Interestingly, he he only caught two receptions, MVS did. Right. One that went for 52 yards and one that went for one yard. (laughs) And it was a great diving catch, too, if you recall correctly. That was a really nice catch, the one-yarder. It was. That was one of those games. And there were several where I was really impressed by MVS and watching how he has grown as a receiver. This was one of those that stood out to me. And one thing that I've really appreciated about MVS over the course of this year is that he was learning to catch with his hands, which was very new for him. He's always been a body catcher. Devontae Adams was the star that day, but he also freed up MVS to be able to put two touchdowns on the board. Yeah, and and how good was Aaron Rodgers? 25 of 31, 305 yards and four touchdowns a quarterback rating of 147.2. And like I said, you know it could have been higher if uh, if they needed more points. They just didn't need them. And, and I got to give a shout-out also to Tim Boyle, his usual one rush for minus one yards, but he did it flawlessly. Beautiful. Perfect form. I tell you, if any team out there needs a good luck charm to come in and handle your kneel downs for you, Tim Boyle is your guy. <laughs> All righty. Hey. Let's get to our listener question because this is a fun one. So he asks if the Bengals release Geno Atkins and if Green Bay decides to sign either him or J.J. Watt, who would you want out of those two? Now, you and I, we both really quickly came to the same conclusion, but then some deeper digging made us think a bit. So who's your knee-jerk answer? My knee-jerk answer would be Atkins. Thinking about, you know, what he could add inside and he could also play outside a little bit if you need him to. I, 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 I that was my first initial reaction. What about you? Well, I, I think that was my reaction as well, largely because of, of price. But I did some digging. And one thing that really stands out to me here is via PFF. J.J. Watt over the last few years, he's still playing at an elite level. 2020 was a bit of a down year for him, but you look at uh, the last five years, and although you know he missed quite a bit of time in 2016, he's still been consistently playing at a very high level. Geno Atkins has continued to play very well, but he is slipping. Every year for the last uh, four years, he has posted a worse grade, and in 2020, Really, he was rated, and you got to remember that he is playing for the Bengals, who were pretty terrible. But, I mean, they've been terrible for a while, and Geno has not. Right. But Geno, in 2020, he had an overall grade of 54. His run defense was a putrid 44.7. His pass rush was a little bit higher at 61.4. But he had zero sacks. So if pass rush is the big thing that uh, you know we're supposed to be excited about for you, zero sacks, not that inspiring. So... Honestly, after some consideration, I I have to kind of switch my pick over to J.J. Watt because I just don't know that there is much to go off here with Geno to say that, oh, yeah, he's definitely going to bounce back here. J.J. has still consistently played well, including in 2020 when he was the most double teamed player in the league. So it just stands to reason that, number one, if he was still putting up good numbers 
in that situation. That if you brought him over to Green Bay, even if there was a crappy situation for him in Green Bay, you still kind of know what kind of production you're going to get from him because he was still putting up great numbers in a crappy situation in Houston in 2020. But the second highest double-teamed player in the league behind J.J. Watt, some of you already know, is Zadarius Smith. So bring him in there. You got to imagine... Well, you don't have to imagine. You just know for a fact there's not enough guys to double both J.J. and Zadarius. Right. So one of these guys is getting free. And what does that give? What kind of opportunity does that give to a guy like Kenny Clark or a guy like Rashawn Gary or Kingsley Kiki where they're never going to see a double team, giving them more of an opportunity? So, yeah, I mean, we had our knee-jerk reaction, but we dig into the numbers. We do a little research, and uh, and I think J.J. Watt looks like the better Choice and and he's also, if I'm not mistaken, a year younger uh, than Atkins is. Actually, that I don't know. Let's see. Uh, Atkins is 32, just about to turn 33. JJ Watt just turned 32, so yeah, a year younger. Now you in, you brought up Kenny Clark. That's an interesting one to me. So Kenny's first year in the league was 2016. He had a good PFF grade of 67.3. Certainly nothing to sneeze at for a rookie. In 2017 and 2018, he was elite. 2018 was his best year ever. And then what happened? We got rid of Mike Daniels. Since then, I I hate to say it, Kenny Clark has been just north of average. Um, His 2020 season, in fact, was very similar grade-wise and stat-wise to his rookie season. Kenny Clark has not... Over the last two years, he has not been worth what we paid him this year. And I I really got to believe that a big part of that has to do with, you know, he's missing Mike Daniels next to him. He, we got to get Kenny Clark some help or there's not much point in having him there because honestly, for most of the 2020 season, Kenny Clark was not even grading out as a good defensive lineman. He was he was one of the worst in the league. You, you got to remember, though, he was hurt in week one for sure. Took a few weeks to get back, and then after he returned to the lineup, it took him a little while to play his way back into shape. If you take the December and January Kenny Clark, I'm not disappointed in that performance. Let's say the last four or five weeks of the regular season and the two playoff games, he was great. But if you look at the first half of the season especially, uh, after the injury until probably around Thanksgiving, he was not his normal self, but yeah, he needs help. And, and he, yeah, he, uh, he has been Mr. December for his entire career. He always gets better when it gets cold out. Yeah, that, that is for sure. But, but we need to get him some help. And here's why I'm saying this, Gil, you know, from talking to me that I'm really not on the JJ Watt train. Everybody's excited about this. And I have to keep finding reasons to talk myself into it. But this is one of the best reasons there is, is that Kenny Clark and Zadarius Smith are wildly, underperforming their talent level right now. What's the reason for that? To me, there's two options here. One is that the issue was Mike Pettin. We're going to find out because we got rid of Pettin. We're bringing in Joe Barry, and we're about to answer the question, what does a Joe Barry defense look like? The other question, though, is, well, maybe it's guys around them. You know, we're missing Mike Daniels. Preston was invisible all year. You know, teams didn't really need to devote resources to stopping Preston and you can go ahead and double Z. In my mind, the best argument for bringing in J.J. Watt is, yeah, he's aging, but he's still playing at a very high level. And even if you are even if you don't get the same production out of J.J., maybe you get 
the old production out of Kenny and Z, who are both young players who have no business regressing right now. Yeah, and I think it helps Rashawn Gary and Kingsley Kiki as well. So, yeah, I, I, I could definitely see, look, whether it's Geno Atkins or J.J. Watt or somebody else, there is no doubt that the Packers need to surround Kenny Clark with more talented football players on that defensive line if they want to take this defense to another level. And yeah, the change in coordinator could help and the new system could be beneficial. But right now, talent wise, they need another addition on that D line. Well, let's talk about this new scheme. So Matt LaFleur wants to run the same defense that his buddy Sean McVay does with the LA Rams. Mm -hmm. Brandon Staley is the defensive coordinator out there. This is a very similar system to what Vic Fangio ran with the Bears. And we know that Matt LaFleur, when he was interviewing defensive candidates, kept asking them about Fangio's defense and what they knew about it, quizzing them on it. This is the defense he wants to run. But here's a point. So we know that Jim Leonard um, backed out um, – uh, withdrew his name from consideration. Um, as far as I know, it sounds like Jim was in fact offered the position and then decided to withdraw his name. But, but that is sort of rumor, but I don't know that this is strictly just, okay. So Jim Leonard is gone. I want the, the next guy up who knows the most about Fangio system, uh, Joe Barry. Why? Because there is a guy out there who is a better fit, if that's what you want to run, a true Fangio defense. Ejiro Evero, who was the guy who got passed over for Joe Barry, worked for Fangio for a very long time. Uh, Joe Barry, who is a dude who, one of the things I like about him is his energy. Guy, guy has a lot of energy and he's very um, charismatic. Joe Barry is a guy who has been around in a lot of different defensive schemes and has absorbed a lot from a bunch of other defensive coordinators, right? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious here about which parts of these other coordinators he's going to bring in. So, for example, Monty Kiffin, way back in the day. Uh, 2001, he was working under Monty Kiffin, uh, the Tampa 2 defense. What's something that Kiffin is really known for? Well, he's an old school guy who really excelled at shutting down heavy sets, you know, 12, 13 personnel. Do you know a team who we play twice a year who is one of the heaviest offenses in the league? <laughs> it's the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota, exactly. exactly. I, would, I would love for Joe Barry to bring some of his experience there going up against Minnesota who, by the way, is a team that Mike Pettin relatively consistently struggled a bit defending. And, and I mean, look, this past year, they were the only NFC North team that, in fact, beat us. Monty Kiffin did a good job of handling those heavier personnel sets without having to neglect the secondary so much because he would, you know, he didn't necessarily need to man up as heavy because he would kind of aggressively, you know, maybe knife into the backfield with one of his outside guys, which lets you pull a linebacker out of there. You know, you no longer have to be exclusively gap sound and you can have another DB back 
in, you know, in the secondary, which is great because Minnesota has lethal wide receivers. Kirk Cousins to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Oh, that'll tear you alive. Joe yeah. Barry might be a very good fit for shutting down teams like Minnesota. And that's a big plus. And, you know, here's the other thing that I was looking at when I, uh, you know, he, he was in L.A. with the Rams last year. And the way they play their secondary coverages, to me, is something that could really benefit the Packers. Obviously, uh, you know, you have the star role that he liked to play where they had one shut down cornerback who would follow a receiver anywhere on the field. You got to know that's going to be Jair Alexander most of the time, not all the time, because they always did try to disguise coverages. But there was a variety of zone coverages for the rest of the defensive backs, whether it was a cover two, a cover three, sometimes a cover four. But the the name that pops up in my mind, if you're playing mostly zones, maybe maybe this is a chance for Josh Jackson and maybe a last chance because of his lack of speed. Uh, hampering him in the present system. Maybe if they're playing more zone, Josh Jackson has a, a shot at getting some kind of a role in this defense in 2021. That is a great point. When you're playing a lot of zone defense, you don't need these out of this world, Jair Alexander level cornerbacks. You know, Kevin King and Jair Alexander are both really good fits for playing a lot of man. Josh Jackson you know, he was really good as a you know zone corner in college, but there was always the question of how is he going to do at the pro level if they're asking him to play a lot of man. Spoiler alert, he wasn't that good. This really could help him, you know, and hey, maybe you're right. Maybe it is too far gone for Josh Jackson, but that is actually one of the first names that came to my mind. I'll tell you another another name that came to my mind for a guy who could potentially see a role in this defense you're never going to you're never going to suspect this at all. Oren Burks, and I'll get to that in a second, but I you know, our listeners know how much I despise having Oren Burks on our defense. <laughs> so, I just wanted to drop that as a little bit of a teaser here. Not we're a rumor. Get in, a rumor? It's not just a rumor. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's well documented that uh, yes. I think Oren Burks should be flipping burgers. But hey, look, the big the big question that I had was, okay, what what specifically does Joe Barry not do well because his defenses in Detroit and in Washington for four years across those two teams were pretty terrible. And yeah, we've already looked at uh, the talent that he had on those defenses. They were putrid, but they, it wasn't just that all the talent was putrid. It was specifically that the talent at some of the really most important positions was putrid and something that, Barry does a lot. You know, he runs a lot of uh, four, two, five, uh, three, four, a lot of spinner coverages, or, or he did in Detroit and Washington, and they were not good at it. He really like he he likes to bring his linebackers up, um, you know, close to the line of scrimmage, force uh, opposing offensive lines to run man protection or even max protection. He's really good at at using linebackers in that way, but he does tend to sometimes neglect the edge. And you can, I mean, even this past year, you know, in Patton's defense, we saw some teams that had a lot of success running outside. And actually, that's something the Packers have a lot of success with is running outside zone. 
That is a weakness in Joe Barry's defensive scheme. And how do you solve that? Well, there are two teams in the league, actually three, but definitely two, that excel at shutting down those outside runs, even though it's a very similar defense. Those two teams are the Buccaneers and the 49ers. And boy, did we see enough of them over the last couple of years. Well, yeah, exactly. Tell me, tell me, what do they have that absolutely just annihilates any type of outside zone run? Speedy linebackers. Speedy linebackers. Man, if you are relying on really talented, freaky linebackers to make your defense work, ooh, who are you going to use in Green Bay? I they, there's nobody on our current roster who can fill that role outside of. Oren Burks, you know, he's the only physical freak I think who could handle that. And we have seen time and time again, the issue with Oren Burks is what's between his ears. You know, he, he has the physical talent to do stuff. And then when it's time for him to actually play, oof, the, the result is a disaster. Every time you got to imagine bringing in this, this guy who's been a linebackers coach his whole career and who really strongly relies on freak linebackers to make this defensive scheme work linebacker is going to be a big priority for him yeah and it'll be interesting to see whether uh goot tries to add some linebackers a little earlier in the draft this year in order to make that happen my concern with what you say i on paper that makes a lot of sense but oren burks doesn't play to his 40 time he has a lot of speed but he doesn't play fast And if between the ears, as you said, is the issue, is he going to be able to learn a new defensive system in time to play fast in that system this year? I hope so. I would love to see it. I would love to see him blossom this year and finally live up to the expectations that the Packers had when they traded up to draft him. But he's got to be able to know this defense well enough in time to make that impact. So we're in agreement that you certainly can't roll into this season with that as your plan. Maybe you still carry him into you know the offseason, into training camp, and you try and work with him, but not as your starting linebacker. Maybe this is the guy that you say, okay, he still should be able to become this, so maybe he's like linebacker number three. But they got they gotta, you know, be searching in free agency or in the draft. And, uh, you know, here's something I, I went and looked up how um, first round linebackers have done. It, it's not good. No, the second round seems to be the money round. So I there's a lot of folks out there who are saying, oh, you know, a guy like Xavier uh, uh, Collins, you know, they really need to trade up and get him in the first round. Uh, to me, I'm, I'm just at a point right now where I don't trust any of the scouts you know when they are telling you who's going to be just this freak linebacker that you should take in the first round because they have just been so wrong over the last few years to me I'm more interested in let's let's take a different position in the first round but maybe in the second round we go after a linebacker it's a little bit better value and honestly those players drafted in the second round at linebacker have performed a lot better. They have far outplayed the first round linebackers taken in, I mean, years, like at least five years. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is going to be a challenge to fix that inside linebacker group. And 
maybe Kamal Martin, although he doesn't have the flat out speed to do, you know, what Barry probably wants him to do. It's going to be interesting. And my concern, and this is maybe one of the reasons why uh, I was a little bit late in the let's get rid of Mike Pettin idea when it came to defensive coordinators is, again, it's very possible that early in the season, this defense takes a step back as they learn this new system that Joe Barry is trying to implement. And does that cost the Packers home field advantage? Does it cost them a game or two that could have made a big difference in winning the division or getting uh, a buy or, a, or an important seed? Uh, you have a small window left with Aaron Rodgers, just a, maybe two, three years before you know, you, you start to worry about that and maybe you're giving away part of one year by making this change. Well, I, I got a prediction for you. This is a slightly off topic here. I wouldn't be super surprised to see Zadarius Smith moved to, say, defensive end because the defensive trees that uh, Joe Barry has come from really rely a lot more on and Rashawn Gary as well, by the way, they really make the outside linebackers play more of a true outside linebacker position. Something Packer fans hate. How do I know that? Well, because it, the, uh, the second time we played the Vikings, uh, the Vikings motion out Kyle Rudolph. And so Preston follows him outside you know, in coverage, because that's what you do. If you put a guy like Shannon Sullivan on Kyle Rudolph, he's going to get annihilated. They motion Preston Smith out, and and so Preston, you know, is, ma is matching him. And the Vikings see that, and they go, oh, crap. And they, they motion Rudolph back inside. It works. Packer fans still have not shut up about that. They are furious. Oh, you can't. Preston Smith is not a cornerback. You can't have number 91 out there. Okay, I'm sorry. This is what outside linebackers have to do. You can't cover Kyle Rudolph with a guy like Shannon Sullivan. Right. The, the, the physical size difference is too great. And, hey, here's a revelation, by the way. Kyle Rudolph is not going to be running at wide receiver speed. <laughs> He's going to be running at outside linebacker speed. This is why you have these big outside linebackers. When you're in a man coverage, This is the, these are the guys that you have on a tight end a lot of the time. So Packer fans are going to have to get used to that, by the way. Uh, Joe Barry is going to be using his outside linebackers actually as outside linebackers, and I think a lot of Packer fans have just really gotten it stuck in their heads that our outside linebackers are just edge rushers. Well, okay, if that were true, they would really be playing a lot more just as defensive ends. So I would not be surprised to see Rashawn return to you know his hand in the dirt uh, defensive end position. You know, maybe they continue to use Zadarius in his um, rover position. You know, just kind of moving all around. Uh, obviously, he's still going to be. Uh, you know, a, a, an extension of the D line. He's not going to be dropping into coverage very much, but Barry is going to need outside linebackers who play as outside linebackers. So that is going to be a change that's coming. Definitely the entire outside or the entire linebacker room is going to need an overhaul with Joe Barry coming to town. Yeah, it's going to be a, a different system and there's going to be adjustments made across the board. And, and like I said, it may take some time, but I'll say this, I will take, uh, if this whole defense pulls a Kenny Clark and plays okay in the first half of the season, 
But by the time we get to December and hopefully January or maybe even the first week in February, they're kicking a little butt. Uh, I take that in a heartbeat. All right. It's debate time. You and I uh, went over quite a few different debate topics, but one of the ones that really struck us as being kind of the most fun is we were looking at Brian Gutekind's draft classes. And it's you know, obviously it's way too early to be able to evaluate a lot of these players and say whether they were really good or bad picks. But especially some of the earlier guys, clearly we have enough tape to say, okay, Jair Alexander, he knocked it out of the park with Jair. And in fact, looking at all of the players that he's drafted, it's it's impossible for us to rank any player higher than Jair. So what we're going to do, we're going to take Jair off the board. And we are going to say, outside of the obvious and, you know, maybe eventually someday Hall of Famer Jair Alexander, who is Brian Gutekind's next best draft pick so far? Gil, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, I got to go with Elton Jenkins. Uh, I I think Mm. that his versatility is outstanding. He made all rookie in his rookie year last year, 2020, he makes the pro bowl for the first time. This guy literally played all five positions along the offensive line for the green Bay Packers this year. And no matter where he played, he did a darn good job. Left tackle, right tackle, left guard, right guard center. Uh, and I was concerned even, you know, before the, Pro Bowl votes came out that he wouldn't get consideration because he played so many different places over the course of the season. Glad he got the honor. He deserved it. This kid is smart. He is physical. He is very good at both run blocking and pass blocking. And his versatility just adds to his value for this football team. There is no way that Aaron Rodgers has the season he did and that the Packers offensive line, uh, has the season they did, you know, Green Bay was number one in scoring offense this year for a reason. And the offensive line was a big part of it. That doesn't happen without the versatility and ability of Elton Jenkins. Man, that is a phenomenal pick. Uh, Hard to argue with it, but I got another guy who has consistently played at a very high level. You know, Elton Jenkins has been up and down a little bit. I got a guy who never takes a day off and who really frees up a lot of other players on defense to go make big plays. And that would be Darnell Savage. Darnell Savage was a freak this year. I think, you know, his, his best game was when he picked off Mitch Trubisky twice. Oh my gosh, it was delicious. But all year he was just a freak in the backfield. Our, our, our whole um, secondary was playing at an elite level. And I think a big part of that had to do with the the level of excellence that you were getting from Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos, and they were freeing up corners to go do their thing and not have to worry so much. And on top of that, Darnell was still making plays. And I look at the position of safety and how important it is to have a guy at safety who is a threat in run defense, in coverage, and who you just don't need to worry about. It's just, to me, an irreplaceable position. And I just got to take Darnell. You know, I love Rashawn Gary and, and you know, what he's turning into. But so far, 
our other first round pick from 2019 has just stolen the show. So Darnell's my pick. But hey, we want you guys to weigh in and give us your pick. We're going to post a poll on Twitter. We're going to give you guys a couple of options to choose from. After Jair Alexander, who is Gutekunst's best draft pick so far? And by the way, here's the results from last week when we debated whether or not the Packers should commit to playing a London game in 2021. Gil, you answered no, they should not. 66.7% of people, exactly two-thirds, voted with you. Although we did have at least one fan who lived in the UK reach out and say, oh my gosh, yes, they should. Please come to the UK. We want to watch our team. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you handily beat me last week. So let's see what happens this week. We shall see. We'll head on over to Twitter at JJ Leahy, L-A-H-E-Y, or at Gil Packers. We're both going to post this poll the top of our Twitter profiles. We want you to vote, and we'll be right back here next week. That does it for today. Follow us on Twitter, at Gil Packers and at JJ Leahy, of course, to stay up to date on all things Packers, or to ask us questions, or you can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Not